On today's episode of the Hop Nerd Podcast, we're going to talk a bit about starting from a place of trust. One of the 10 ideas to make safety suck less. another episode of the Hop Nerd Podcast. I am your host, Sam Goodman, the Hop Nerd LLC. Make sure you head over to the website, www.thehopnerd.com for fundamentals, learning teams, support, and so much more. Send us an email, thehopnerd at gmail.com, and be sure to follow along with us on all things social media at the Hop Nerd or at Sam Goodman. Welcome to today's episode. Sitting here drinking my second Trenta, Trenta cold brew of the day. And yeah, yeah, it's been one of those kind of years so far. And that's an amazing thing. I don't mean that in a bad way. I just have to stay caffeinated. I do. I do. I don't know if it's one of my good habits or one of my bad habits. I've been working on minimizing some of my my bad habits, but I will be completely transparent with you and tell you that there's not much that keeps me running, not much that I truly, truly need in life. But in the sense of transparency, lots of lots and lots of caffeine, and in particular, Starbucks cold brew, not iced coffee, not this, not that, but but cold brew. Caffeine and nicotine <laughs> tends to make my world go round. I puff on a cigar here and there, really, like, pretty rarely, actually. Maybe, like, a couple times a year, and I spent a good portion of my life. I'm from the mountains. I am a self-proclaimed hillbilly from Appalachia, and I use that term lovingly. It's a it's a badge of honor that I wear. It's a pride point uh, in my life, uh, but... Being in that environment, you tend to gravitate towards certain forms of nicotine, and I dipped skull for years and years and years. And so I came out of the mountains dipping a a lot, a lot of skull, wintergreen, fine cut (laughs) in particular. And then I found myself working in power plants, and I found that nearly everyone that I worked with dipped some form of tobacco as well. And it was convenient. It was easy. You got your nicotine fix. You could kind of whistle while you work or you could dip <laughs> dip while you work and then several years back i finally made the cut to like or the shift to cut way 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 back and then i eventually moved towards those little nicotine pouches and it's up in the air right i mean let's be honest it's up in the air how great these substitutions are for you but i mean i don't know it feels like it's a whole lot better for you than what that was so between my starbucks cold brew my extremely large starbucks cold brews (laughs) And usually, what is that? That's like 64 ounces or something. Is Trenta 30 or 32? I don't know what the actual cup size is. But at least 60, 60 plus ounces of cold brew in more than a small handful of Zen wintergreen nicotine pouches every day. And uh, Sam's a happy boy. I mean, <laughs> that's, that's literally it. There's not much else 
I need. I, I can go for days. Just absolute days existing only on coffee and some water. I, I love I love chugging water. Coffee, water, and some nicotine pouches were pretty good. There, there we go. There's, I guess, in the uh, sense of transparency here, but I am chugging my Trenta cold brew. You can hear it kind of here in the background. Mmm. And I hope wherever you find yourself in this big, wild, crazy, and amazing world that you're enjoying some of life's little pleasures here as well as we move, as we move towards the holiday season. It's like right around the corner. It's like right there. And I'm absolutely, absolutely pumped, 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 pumped. And I'm not, I don't know, I don't really consider myself uh, a big Christmassy person. I'm not the person that breaks out the tree in the uh, in September. I'm not the person that breaks out the tree in the burr months, right? So as soon as the months turn to the something burr, you start putting up Christmas decorations. I don't, I don't do that. I'm a big fan of fall. So Halloween, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I, that's, that's my jam. That's my jam. Thanksgiving. Oh yeah. That's, that's my jam too. And I'm a little biased towards the fall. I was born in November. My birthday falls on Thanksgiving day here and there and everywhere. I was the person that got pumpkin pies. <laughs> it's, I made you a turkey for your birthday, which was fine. I'm, I can, I can maybe not dig the turkey, but the, the, the pumpkin pies for sure. For sure. And so I love the fall, but what I love most about Christmas is I really fell in love with Christmas after Avery was born. And it just seems to be that perfect moment, a just dad moment, right? When you wake up and I can't help it. I get more excited than she does. I think I'll wake up at like three or 4 a.m. And I'm like, okay, come on, come on, come on. I'm like walking through the house making like the, you know, like the, you know, the big loud noises. Like, oh my God, I, I think you need to wake up. I, I, I think you need, I want to watch you open these stupid presents. I want to see you open these presents. I'm like slamming doors and walking around and like, Avery, Avery, Avery. <laughs> so... I try. I try my best to prior out of bed as early as I can for my sake, because I'm, I'm just pumped. So uh, we're excited. We're excited for Christmas here in this house, and I, I hope that you are excited for the holiday season, whatever you celebrate, wherever you are around the world. I just hope that you spend some time with those that you love and that you care about, that it's meaningful to you, and that you stop and you pause for a minute and you do take a little bit to enjoy those little pleasures in life, whether it's that extra cup of coffee. Or, you know, it's a nice little glass of Buffalo Trace at the end of the day, or it's that nice juicy bone-in ribeye, or it's that slice of turkey, I guess, if if that's your thing. I don't know. Not not my thing, but if to each their own and whatever it is, if I hope that you take a few minutes for yourself. It's been a long year. It's been a busy year for so many of us. Everyone that I talk to, we have these conversations about this year has been intense. This year has been exhausting. This year has been sometimes frustrating. This year has sometimes been tragic. But when we get to the end of it, we all look at each other and go, we made it. It's awesome. Love you. Mean it. This is cool. This has been the best year ever. Even on the ones that have been kind of wild, the ones Ones that have been kind of wacky, the, the the days that we just kind of wanted to move that picture frame, or if you're working in a corporate building, you know, that ethics poster, like the thou shout poster, to move it to the side and continue to pound our head in the wall, you know, and then put the picture back so we can cover up the hole that we pounded in the wall with our head, even with those days, you know, accounted for. We're still here and we're still making things better and inch by inch, you know, small little increments of change over time, compounding improvements over time, micro improvements and adjustments and those things accumulating and compounding as a whole. We're still in better shape than we ever were 
four. So it's pretty awesome. I'm, I'm glad that we're here. I'm glad that we made it to Christmas. New Year's is right around the corner, and we'll do a little bit of a New Year's wrapped up episode, I guess, and kind of reflect a bit more on the year. But I'm in the mood, if you can't tell. I'm, I'm, I'm in the spirit. I'm in the spirit of the holidays. It has indeed been a wild year. I've been here, there, and a little bit of everywhere. It's been amazing to get to spend so much time with you folks out there. Just getting to be that kind of partner in your journey of human and organizational performance, it's just been awesome. I've been doing a bunch of stuff around learning teams and a bunch of stuff around laying the groundwork for learning teams, prepping organizations with better beliefs and assumptions, hot fundamentals, the kind of key ideas of safety differently, 10 ideas to make safety suck less, all the stuff that we know helps kind of lay that groundwork for learning teams to actually be successful. And that's kind of what we're going to talk about a little bit today. And kind of briefly, because I gave you a really long intro update, <laughs> but we're going to start with that first idea of 10 ideas to make safety suck less. And I mentioned that in the book that, you know, these ideas, I didn't lay them out in this like really linear, this is number one, this is number two, this is number three, this is number four. They're in order of importance. I stated that in the book, but then I also said in the book, if you've read 10 ideas to make safety suck less, and if you haven't, I would encourage you to go pick it up and let me know what you think about it. You can send me an email, thehopnerd at gmail.com. But I also stated that they were kind of sorted, <laughs> and they are, with that first one being the very first one for a very important reason. Because if you're not starting from a place of trust, if you're not really developing that environment, and let's kind of boil this down, if you're not crafting that environment, helping to shape that environment where people, at the very least, they might not trust you, because I'm not so confident that people really tend to trust the company. I mean, I don't trust my bank. I don't trust <laughs> large institutions. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's just the people. It's probably good to have a healthy distrust of some of these things. I think it's probably really healthy to have at least a, a, a sane, a sane distrust of these kind of power centers within our work lives and, and external to them. But at the very least, I can create an environment if you don't trust me, if you don't trust the organization, I can help to create an environment where at least you know that you have the ability to be honest. That kind of, I hate to call it a buzzword, but PS, psychological safety, has become a buzzword. I mean, it really has. We just kind of toss it around willy-nilly, kind of like we do with kind of hop stuff and kind of like what we do with safety. It's just what we do with words. I mean, we we start with some really great stuff, and then we dilute that down into just a saying, <laughs> into the crap that we hang on the wall. Side rant, sorry, side rant there. But that's really what we're saying here is that we're creating an environment where I don't need you to absolutely trust me. But if you have the ability to be honest, you know that if you tell me the truth, you know, the crap that you don't want to have to tell me and you know I would rather not have to freaking hear. But, but you have full confidence that you can tell me that and know that I'm not going to lash out, lash out at you, blame or shame you. I'm not going to tar and feather you. I'm not going to drag out the guillotine on the company square and behead you. You can stick your neck out because it is a risk when you're communicating those things, especially the stuff that we really, 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 really need to hear. You know, the coulda, woulda, shoulda killed me, almost kind of sort of burnt that down, coulda, shoulda, woulda blown that up, the stuff that we often refer to as the ugly and scary truth of our organization. 
when we're trying to communicate that ugly and scary, and a lot of times even the bad, just the stuff that's like the stuff that's really hard to get right, really easy to get wrong, the stuff that's migraine inducing, stress, <laughs> like set your hair on fire because you got to do it. You know, the dumb stuff that we make folks do within our work worlds, the stuff we make them do that's dumb, but we still make them do it or else. You know, all those things when we're challenging the status quo of our organization, when we're rallying for improvement around the things that are sometimes the most sacred cows within our organizations, that is a risk. That is a risk that we take on. So I have to work to, to help create that environment. As an organization, I have to craft that environment where you know that you can tell me the truth. You know that you can tell me the truth, whether it's going to maybe be gnarly. You can tell me the truth. I don't necessarily have to completely trust you, but I know that I can tell you the good, the bad, the ugly, and the scary without fear of negative repercussions, without fear of getting beaten, <laughs> without fear of you going, what the hell, how the hell did we ever get, what, what the hell were you thinking? I can say that stuff, and you're going to say more along the lines of good. <laughs> If you haven't seen that video by Jocko, the good video, almost all of you, I think you know what I'm talking about. I love that. And especially when we think about this great, good, bad, ugly, scary, and information, this great, good, bad, ugly, scary, <laughs> there we go. You know, the raw and real information, the, the information about the reality of our work worlds, not operational fantasy, but operational reality. When we hear that stuff, when we hear about, yeah, I, mean, I almost died over there a week ago, or we hear like, yep, we had some, uh, some really, really, really kind of deep audit findings, <laughs> or we had some of these things, you know, that we often refer to as like, oh my God, it's safety. It wasn't 100% perfect. What do you mean? It wasn't 100% perfect. It wasn't 100% perfect. Oh my God, we're, oh my God, we're in second safety. When we hear those things, in safety or otherwise, we shouldn't do, oh my God, 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 it's bad, 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 We should say, good, good. We have something to improve. Good. I'm just thankful that you shared with me that you almost died over there. I would much rather know that you almost died over there, then not know that you almost died over there. Information is not good or bad. It's just information. And we need information to make good operational decisions. If I don't know that you almost died over there, how can I make it hard for you to die over there? Hey, I, I can't. Why would we let that scare us? Why would we say, oh, bad. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. We should be saying, good. We have something to work on. We have something to improve. That's great. That's great. As a leader in organizations, there's not much that I needed. But information was one of those things that I absolutely needed because I need information to make good operational decisions. I need operational reality, not fantasy, not my operational imagination. I need operational reality, information, not good or bad, just information to help us make better decisions, to make better choices. I never get that information if you sincerely believe or you know from experience that when you bring me that information and what I do is go, when I react from a place of emotion and distrust of you, uh, of course, I'm signaling to you that it's not safe for you to bring me this information. It's really not safe for you to tell me the truth. You do not have the ability to be honest with me or, or the organization. The way that we start to move forward with that is we have to extend trust. 
We have to extend trust. And what I mean by that, this starting from a place of trust, from the 10 ideas, is we have to view trust as the organization's neutral position. Almost always, our organizations start from a place of distrust. Now, we pour thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars and time and energy into vetting qualified candidates, hiring qualified candidates, putting them through the ringer from pre-employment tests of pretty much any variety, right, from knowledge checks and skills examinations to actual, like, psychological evaluations to poking them and drawing blood and testing their body for substances that we dislike and kind of on and on and on and on and on. We put them through the ringer, making them sign this and sign that and 4,700 pages of this paperwork and 13 NDAs and 14 non-compete clauses and kind of all this different crap that we build into this hiring process that varies from organization to organization to organization, some more extreme than others. But all of those things are an exercise to help us build trust with this person that we kind of don't know all that well, right? We, we, we see your background. We see your qualifications. We've got to know you, you know, hopefully not through this kind of more modern approach to interviewing where we do like 47 of them, which is absolutely ridiculous. Employers out there, if you're listening to this, uh, let's, let's do side rant. Here we go. Side quest. You ready for the side quest? WTF. Like, really, 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 really. You're going to take this person that's usually highly skilled, highly competent, highly qualified for a position, and then you're going to interview them not once, not twice, not thrice. (laughs) Sometimes more than five, sometimes more than seven. I've heard of folks, folks that I spend time with uh, that are kind of on the job market that have been out there looking for that next role, that next adventure saying, yeah, like I applied. And first of all, they like, they lied about the salary range on their job posting. Uh, And I didn't find out about that salary range, which I totally wouldn't have accepted until interview number 12, when they whittled down to me and still 14 other people. And then they told me that, oh, well, yeah, that was just inaccurate. Sorry about that that. And they just wasted their time for 20 freaking interviews for a job that they wouldn't have taken in the first place. Okay, side quest over it, but uh, don't do that. Uh, That's ridiculous. Uh, You talk about not getting folks to come work for you. That's a great way to do that. Okay, sorry. Side quest over. Back to the key point here is that we go through this exercise of growing trust. And then as soon as we get through that, they pass our Olympics of growing trust. They pass their primary quest of growing trust, of earning our trust. Damn it. They earn it through poking and prodding and testing and 47 interviews. And then as soon as we get them, we throw them in a organizations away. We don't trust you now. We don't trust you so much that all of our systems within our work worlds are built upon the principle of distrust. Everything you do, you're going to have to justify. Every single small action, inaction that you take, thou shalt be documented and thou shalt have 14 different explanations for it. And our systems will back that up, our rules, all the way down. There's so many examples of that. I'm not going to continue to rant too much about that. But the entire point here is that we start from a place of distrust when we should be starting from a place of trust. All right, we should be starting with trust as our neutral position. The point here the, the primary point really is this. How do we actually grow trust? <laughs> I mean, that, that's, really, that's really the question here. Right? How do we grow trust? There's two things here. How do we grow trust? How do we create an environment in which honesty is possible? Let's start with the trust one. Let's start right here with trust. Let's start with trust because every organization on the planet, if you ask them, they suck at two things. And you know what they are. You know what's popping to mind right now. Pause and think about it. What are the two things that we suck at? Trust and communications. <laughs> That's always it. Oh, and I'm not saying that we don't always suck at them. I'm saying that those two things are extremely hard, and especially with the ways that we typically approach them. Right? That's probably some of the key point here. Because with trust, I'm not going to dive into the communication rabbit hole. We're going to talk trust and honesty. 
when we start talking about trust and we start talking about growing trust, how do we seek to do that in our organizations? We have one primary mechanism. We, we tell people to trust us. <laughs> right? We might break that apart into, well, we ask or try to persuade people to trust us or we demand that people trust us. But basically, we try to gain the trust of our organizations by saying, hey, pretty please trust us or trust us or else. How dare you not trust us? Look, I put the trust me poster on the wall. I built it into our principles, into our values. I even made really cool little icons for each value off of Canva and put it on the wall. And the first one says something about trust. You should trust me. I, I believe in trust and communication so much that I've made all my managers take the doors off their walls. I even removed the hinges so they can't put them back on. See, you should trust us. We demand or beg for, for people to trust us. But that's not how you get trust. If I walked up to you on the street, you didn't know me from anybody. You didn't know me as the screaming hop lunatic from Arizona. <laughs> if you didn't know me and I just walked up to you, hey, you know what you should do? I know you don't know me. You don't know me at all. But listen, you should really trust me. You should pretty please. Uh, come on. Why don't, why don't you tr trust me? Trust me. Just just trust me. Come on. You should trust me. What's the first thing you're not going to do? You're not going to trust me because it's freaking weird. It's creepy. It's odd. It's just the weirdest behavior. It, it's gross. And when I beg you to trust me on the street, when you don't know me from anybody, the first thing you're going to do is check to make sure you've got your wallet, your watch, the loose change in your pocket, maybe even the parking stub. And you should, but you shouldn't trust me. That's weird. It's creepy. It's odd. That's not how you earn trust. What works outside of work works at work too. We forget that so many times. We think as soon as we get to work, we've got to turn into the suit and tie people, you know, where we go, <clears throat> we've got to be super serious and use extreme mechanisms of this and tactics that and blah, 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 blah. The way that you receive trust inside, outside of work, at least the starting position for this, is you extend trust to receive trust. You don't beg for it. You extend trust. Right? You extend trust. I roll over and show you my belly. Right? Here. I'm vulnerable. I'm here. I trust you. I'm starting from a place of trust. I'm not demanding that you earn it. I'm not saying, damn it, I don't trust you until you show me that, you can, that I can. I'm saying, here I am. This is me, and I trust you. I extend trust to receive trust. When we extend trust throughout our organizations, when we extend trust to those nearest to the work, we might not necessarily receive trust in return, but at the very least, we're creating an environment where learning is possible. We're extending trust, and at the very least, we're often creating an environment where people see us as trustworthy. They see us as people that they can tell the truth to. I'm not starting from a position of why the hell did you do that? Why would you do that? You should, woulda, shoulda, coulda. I'm starting from a position of can you teach me? Can you show me? I trust you. You have the expertise. You reside nearest to the work. You deal with this process. You know this thing way better than I do. I trust you. A really interesting piece of learning teams in particular, a piece that I think we often overlook. We get really bent up around the axle about, about the learning part, and hence the learning team. And I, I totally understand that. Well, duh, right? But as a piece of this is that by doing a learning team, by involving and empowering those nearest to the work to teach us the reality work and to co-create improvement strategies with them, to create better together, to learn deeply about normal work, warts, 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 warts and all, so we can learn and improve together. A learning team 
is an extension of trust. You are extending trust down and throughout your organization. That's how you get trust in return. That's the starting point for this entire thing. You extend trust to receive trust. You temper your reactions after the said extension of trust. You temper your reactions when you hear the good, the bad, the great, the weird, the scary, the ugly truth about normal work. Back to what we were saying at the beginning. If I react poorly, if I shit my pants every time you bring me something that's a little bit scary, or even a lot scary or not scary at all, if I shit my pants when you bring me something and I freak out, melt down, lash out, you're just not going to do that anymore. <laughs> and you shouldn't. <laughs> you shouldn't. You shouldn't. Operational intelligence. This great, good, bad, ugly, and scary, raw and real information about how things normally occur within our organization. You know, the great stuff, the bad stuff, warts and all. It is a gift. Now, I didn't say that it always feels like a gift. <laughs> when somebody says, hey, bro, I almost died over there last week. That doesn't feel like a gift in the moment. But I super duper promise you that it is. That PCIF, you know, where somebody almost died but didn't, where somebody shoulda, coulda, woulda had a real, 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 really bad day, up to and including death, that operational intelligence is a gift. That shit bunch of audit findings, those oftentimes can be gifts. They're opportunities to improve. But when we react, meltdown, panic, shit or pants, we signal to folks that bringing us that information is unacceptable. Telling us the truth is unacceptable. We're rendering it impossible. We're making it impossible for them to bring us the information that we need, that good, great, ugly, scary, deep, meaningful, raw, rich information that we need to make good operational decisions. We're rendering it impossible for them to do that. So if you want to truly work on trust in your organization, start by extending trust. View trust as your organization's neutral position. It's the starting point for everything. We start from a place of trust, not from distrust, not from I poked you, I prod you, I tested you, but I still don't trust you, not from mm, I don't like the way you look, I don't know if I can trust you. We start from trust. We start from a place of trust. Trust is our organization's neutral position. And then if we want to create an environment where honesty is possible, we temper our reactions, we get over this reacting with emotion and distrust with panic by shitting our pants. We get over this shit, our pants reactions, and we move towards responding with curiosity and care. We focus on that response because the way that we respond when people bring us the great, good, bad, ugly, scary information about the reality of work, you know, operational intelligence, the stuff that we actually need to steer and guide and improve our organizations, the way that we respond to this operational intelligence, it determines how much we get to learn in the future. Start from a place of trust. Focus on how you respond. I'm going to say it one more time, and then I'm going to shut up with this little rant, because it has been a rant episode, and if you're not into the rant episodes, I apologize, but it's kind of sort of what I do. Start from a place of trust. Focus on responding to the good, the great, the bad, the ugly, and the scary from a place of curiosity and care. Thanks for listening, everybody. We greatly appreciate all of your support of the Hot Nerd Podcast, the Hot Nerd LLC. If you need a little bit of help of bringing human and organizational performance to life, if you would like to take your efforts around learning and improving, 
to the next level. Yep, I can help with that. Head over to www.thehotnerd.com or send me an email, thehotnerd at gmail.com. Until next time, bye everybody. Bye.